Well, do you like wearing new socks? Yes. Yeah. Do you like wearing new shoes? No. No. I just, I just thought, just came into my mind thinking, well, sometimes when there's something new to put on, it all feels ooh, a bit different to your old cardigan or your woolly socks or something. And it takes a bit of time just to wear it in, doesn't it? The thing about the Bible is, though, quite a few of us, maybe all of us, have read about Peter already. We know about Peter. He's one of the main characters in the New Testament. So even though perhaps it's a new series, maybe Peter's more like a, an old woolly jumper, where we can sort of think, yeah, it's sort of, I'm, I brought it out because it's been spring and summer, now it's getting into winter. This is just thinking a few weeks ahead. And now I'm putting my old jumper again. I'm putting it, my old jumper on again. And now it feels, oh, lovely. So hopefully, over the next few weeks, as we talk about Peter and think about him, we're not just going to be thinking, oh, I've never just thought about that before, although we might. But we'll be thinking, oh, yeah, this is a familiar chap. This is familiar to me. But hopefully there's going to be a few twists about what people, the speakers, talk about Peter. Silly question. How many disciples did Jesus have? I can hear a voice from the back. Jeff? Thirteen. That's one answer. Would anyone like to give me another answer? Seventy-two. Lovely. Would you like to give me another answer? Twelve. Lovely. Any more? Thousands. Yeah, she'll go a bit bigger than that. Billions. Millions. Would you say again? Yeah. The good news is, we are Jesus' disciples, aren't we? So, Jesus called the original 12, and he still calls disciples now. The interesting thing was that when you read through the Gospels, none of the disciples really volunteered. They didn't sort of have a, a notice saying, if someone marvellous can pass, I'm going to be his disciple. It was Jesus saying, Margaret, I want you to be my disciple. And then immediately they get up and say, jolly good, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. That's what happened, wasn't it? Jesus said to them, come, I want, to, I want you to follow me. I want to make you fishers of men. We've mentioned it already, but over the next few weeks, a lot of us can use this if we want to. If you don't want a sheet of paper, but you're into Facebook, then on our Facebook page every day, there's going to be a photo coming up like this that says what the reading is going to be, and this is today's set of readings, and just one verse that caught my imagination as I was sort of putting all the photos together. So if you want to follow it that way, that'll be good. So there were 12 original disciples, millions, billions now, but within those 12 disciples, there was an inner circle as well. Can anyone remember their names? Peter, James, John and Andrew. That's great. So two sets of brothers, weren't it? And they were kind of Jesus' inner circle. If you remember, we know we've heard about what Peter's dad's name is, but his mom and his dad didn't call him Peter. They called him a name, that means hearer. And that's called Simon, and most of us would have heard of that. But of course then Jesus called him and said, Simon, I want to call you Rock. So he called him Cephas, or Peter. 
If you look at this next slide, this has been on a notice board and in a magazine for a few weeks now, and I've put nine different adjectives or characteristics or things that uh, Peter was like. Disciple, fisherman, denier, leader, go-getter, writer, orator, follower, saint. And we know he wrote, uh, or at least we think he wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We'll be talking about that in a little while. But maybe you don't know, but uh, Mark, when he was getting his gospel together, he got lots of ideas from Peter. Peter would have been reminiscing, sharing vivid memories about, oh, you'll never guess what Jesus said here and what Jesus did. And, oh, I'll put my size 12s in it again when I said so-and-so. And Mark wrote lots of those things down. So when we read Mark, often we're finding what Peter did. So that's his writer. I wonder if you could think of any more. You know, I like interaction. I've written... Down. I've written a few more down in case someone doesn't really come up with some good ideas. But with a talented bunch of people like you lot, I bet you're going to come up with some good ideas. So, in a loud voice, tell me some more characteristics of Peter or his roles that he had. We've had awesome already. So, give me a few more. Impetuous. Impetuous. Oh, yes, that's a good word. I didn't write that one down. Impulsive. Say it again. Impulsive. Impulsive, yeah. Anyone else got any more? They're great words. It doesn't, we've had long words. Enthusiastic. It doesn't matter if it's a one-syllable word, because these have been several syllables. So give us a few more. Bold. Bold. Love it. That's a good word. Unafraid. Unafraid. Yeah, that's good as well. Jealous. 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 Hmm. Keen. Keen. Yeah. Trusting. Trusting. Yeah, that's a good one. Shall I tell you my extra list? Because all of these have been brilliant. Rash. Presumptive. Forward. Blunt. Headstrong. Self-confident. Earnest. Bold. Firm. Energetic. And I think all the words we've said between us say a lot about what Peter was like and who he was. And like we've said already, Peter's one of the main people in the New Testament. And over the next few minutes, we're going to look at some of the events and incidents that Peter found himself in. Because before we can read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, it's a good idea to find out what the chap was really like, isn't it? And so the best way to find out is to read the Gospels and to read the book of Acts. It tells us a huge amount. If it helps, you can close your eyes. I won't think you've gone to sleep. It's okay. All it's going to do is just help you imagine the scene. Because what we want to do is not just think about the words we're familiar with, but try and put ourselves in Peter's place. Or put ourselves in someone else's place, and you're looking at Peter and you're thinking, oh, not again. Do you know what I mean? So here are quite a few. There's loads more. So like I say, read the Gospels, read the Bible, read in plan if you want to, if that helps. But get into seeing what Peter was like. John 2, 1 to 12. I bet it was a marvellous, amazing occasion. 
It was Jesus' first miracle. It was the first song we sung today as well, wasn't it? Water you turn into wine. Can you imagine the scene? Jesus and his mother and some of the disciples had been invited to go for a wedding. We know about it because it says it in great detail. And we know that the water, uh, sorry, the wine ran out. They're having loads of goods. Hooray! Three cheers for the bride. Three cheers for the amazing groom. And things like this. And they're having a whale of a time. And so even though they'd have enough wine, it was such a jolly occasion that they needed more wine. And so they had a problem. Because the local off-licence wasn't so local. It wasn't there. It was a bit different in those days. So what did Jesus do? He said this, Fill the jars with water. Now draw some and take it to the master of the banquet. If I was Peter or any of the other disciples, I wonder what I'd have thought. I wouldn't have seen any miracles before. Jesus was magnetic. Jesus was saying all kinds of things about himself already. And his personality would have been really, wow. If you'd have heard it, and you sort of heard the man say, uh, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after. Uh, the guests have, been on, uh, guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Perhaps you haven't had a drink yet, and you're just thinking... Oh, I want to believe that Jesus has done something marvellous and brilliant and something amazing like that. But I haven't tried it yet, and the proof of the pudding is always in the eating, isn't it? And so, when you'd had your first sort of uh, beakerful or glassful, you'd have thought, well, not glass. But if you had your, your beaker or just a, a, a swig, you'd have thought, golly, this is great wine. And I saw it. It was water just a few minutes ago. Wow. Jesus turned water into wine. Scary teachings. Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus was on his mountainside, but there was lots of people with him. And we know it's about the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? But imagine you were there. Imagine you were Peter. Or imagine you were one of the other disciples that was there. And Jesus is saying things like, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body. And he says, and ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. All these things that were just so different from what the rabbis and what you'd have heard as a youngster. You're just thinking, wow, he's teaching differently to all the people I know. He's teaching with authority, as people would later say about it. Jesus went off, but there were lots of people following him. And so there was this place where there weren't, many, there weren't any shops, it was just a deserted, solitary place. But there were over 5,000 men with him, as well as children and, and ladies. And Jesus says, uh, what are we going to do for food then, everyone? And the disciples say, well, there's these fish and some loaves. But then he does another miracle. Can you put yourself there in your imagination, in this solitary place, where there's no off-licenses, no Tesco, no Asda, no Sainsbury's, you can't go and get any bread, and there's 5,000 people there. As a disciple, would you say, Jesus, just send them away, it'll be alright, they'll go hungry for a little while. But Jesus does something amazing. How far could our jaw drop if we were sort of seeing, 
that after all these thousands of people had eaten, there were 12 basketfuls left. They'd had more than enough. And yet, there were all these basketfuls left. You'd have been looking at Jesus and thinking, wow, water into wine, miracles of changing a small amount of food to a lot of food. How about Luke 5? You're in a house. There's lots of people there. And then suddenly you hear a bit of a, a knocking. And then a few minutes later, this chap on a mat is just lowered down and you're there. You can see it all. And Jesus is talking about it. Uh, talking about healing and love and doing, being different. He was teaching the people. This mat came down. Now, if someone with a mat came down here, what would happen? We can't imagine it, can we? But, in that, what Jesus said was, be healed. And then what did the mat, was the mat needed anymore? Was the mat sort of just pulled up again and the man was still on it? Not at all. Jesus healed. Peter was there. He was watching it all, these unexpected things that he saw. <coughs> Youngsters, Matthew 19, 13, 15. Now it doesn't say, Peter said, clear off to the youngsters. But in my imagination, I can imagine that Peter was the spokesman for all the other disciples. And he said, don't, don't go to Jesus. He's too busy for you, young child. Clear off and sort of go and see the rabbi down the road on Saturday. And he'll sort of sort you out. But Jesus wasn't having any of it. Let the little children come to me. How was that different? Children weren't, like in Victorian times, perhaps seen and not heard, or even not seen. And yet, Jesus said, come on, come to me, come and sit on my lap. I'm going to tell you some stories that you're going to find amazing. Because he said amazing stories to adults, so he must have said amazing stories to children as well. Can you imagine it? If you were one of the children, and Peter had said to you with a stern look in his face, clear off, or something like it, and then Jesus opened his arms out to you, how would that have been? Those are things, these things you can look up. But how about the stroll at night? Jesus had sort of told his disciples to go ahead. And this is in Matthew 14, 25 to 33. And so they're involved in a storm. They're on a, on a lake. And so they'd gone in a boat. And Jesus was still on the shore praying and sort of seeking God. Not another surprise, God. Not something else that we didn't expect. Because Jesus comes on the water. To the boat. And what would you say if you were in the boat? Golly, or something like that. Or you'd say in Aramaic. I don't know what the Aramaic for golly is, does anyone? No, but I don't know what it is. But you'd just be saying, that's Jesus. But Peter isn't like that. He says, Jesus, it's you. Tell me to come, and I'm going to come to you. So, Jesus took him, uh, Peter took Jesus at his word, climbed over the side, and walked. Now, of course, we know the end of the story, that he began to sink after a while because he took his eyes off Jesus. But how amazing. Jesus walked on the water. That's not amazing. But Peter walked on the water. That's really amazing, because Jesus said, come. And Peter said, okay, 
I'm going to take you at your word. I'm coming. How about the uh, several down, another mountain, a dazzling sight in Mark 9. We call it the transfiguration. When Jesus was just changed into better than Ariel and Daz and Purcell, just brilliant white. And how amazing, because he wasn't just on his own. But two Old Testament figures came. Can you remember their names? Or look it up if you like. So it was Mark 9, 2 to 10. And Elijah, that's it. So, so Peter says, all of, all sort of, he sees what's happening. And he sort of says, wow, shall we make some tents or tabernacles for you? Because la 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 la, he was sort of really excited and, and things were going on. And how was he shut up? How did he stop speaking? God spoke, there was a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son. What would you, if you were sort of, uh, sort of rattling on about, oh, this is exciting, being in God's presence. And it's not just Jesus anymore, but two of his uh, sort of servants from years gone by. You'd have been rattle, 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 or some of us would have been. But God speaks, and that's the only way Peter could have been shut up, because God spoke. It's Wimbledon this week and next. So that's why I've put, you cannot be serious. Uh, because, in a way, this cannot be serious is really awful. Because if you read in Mark and some of the other Gospels as well, we'll see how Jesus said to Peter, this is at the Last Supper, you're going to deny me. Before the cock crows, it's going to happen. And he did. But Peter didn't believe it was going to be like that. But that's what happened. And then we read in Mark 15, 72, what his reaction was. Fourteen, that was it. I could see that wasn't right. Thank you very much, John. So it says, immediately the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, uh, three times, you will disown me. Uh, cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I've looked in several other versions about this broke down and wept. I'm going to read you some of them. He collapsed in tears. Remember, I want you to imagine you're there. You're watching Peter. You saw him disown Jesus three times. He collapsed in tears. And thinking of this, he began weeping in anguish. And having put his thought upon it and remembering, he broke down and wept aloud and lamented. And throwing himself down, he burst into tears. And he broke down and wept. Then Peter began to cry very hard. Then Peter was very sad and began to cry. Then Peter lost control of himself and began to cry. So putting ourselves in that place where you can imagine you were at the Last Supper maybe and you heard Jesus saying to Peter that you're going to deny me and Peter says, no, I wouldn't deny you, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. And yet he denied three times. 
then his reaction was just to say, oh dear, to weep uncontrollably, to lament, to just know that he'd done wrong and that Jesus had predicted it. He was a changed man. And some of these other examples, like the doors being opened in Acts 12, he was put in prison, wouldn't he? This is sort of, Jesus had sort of uh, been resurrected and ascended into heaven and there was Pentecost. And then Acts 12, there's a lot of persecution going on. And so Peter was put into prison. But what was going on as well? Can you remember? It wasn't just Peter was put into prison, end of Peter. The church was praying. And I love that bit of Acts 12, how the church was praying. And then what happened was, an angel came into the prison, took off his sort of, uh, things, can't remember the words, shackles, and yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember years ago, we used to sing, my shackles are gone, my spirit is free. That was a sort of song from a few years ago. But his shackles, so this angel took them all off, and then opened the doors, and then he was out. So here's a prison. But then... Peter realised he was free and he was out here. And so where did he go? Not back into prison, but he went to where the church was praying, didn't he? And so he knocked on the door and his servant girl sort of heard him. And remember, don't just listen to it. Put yourself there. Put yourself in in this situation. So he knocked on the door and Rhoda came and wanted to answer it. But she ran back saying, I can hear Peter's voice. And the older people, devout, praying, loving God. They said, you cannot be serious as well, didn't they? It can't be him, it's got to be his angel. And so in the end, they open the door and, hey, hallelujah, Jesus has done it again because Peter's here. But how are you if you're the fellow disciples there seeing Peter come out of prison? And how are you if you were Peter himself? He's gone through all these different things, things we haven't talked about them all, but he did lots of things and saw Jesus doing lots of things. How would he have been changed? Greatly, wouldn't he? He was just a a normal fisherman. And yet Jesus changed him. You might think you're just normal today. But God's amazing. And God can use us. God can change us. God can equip us for the calling that he has for us all. We think, tradition says, that he was killed in Rome by the orders of Nero. He was crucified. But he didn't want to be like Jesus. So when he knew he was going to be crucified, he said to them, crucify me upside down. Because he didn't think he could be as worthy to die the same death that Jesus died. So I'd encourage you, look at some of these things at home. Use this or the Facebook just to look at it and sort of remind yourself, trying to imagine what it would have been like to be Peter and not just read it because you've read it before, but try and be there. Try and sort of think about what it was like. How about the two books then? I know when I was younger... And probably still, if I had to really try, I could remember all the books of the Bible in order. I bet some of you can do the same trick. Same thing. I'm not going to ask you to do it, because you don't need to. Because here, 
are the list of the books of the New Testament, just to see where they are. So we've got the Gospels. So this is the first book, this is the fifth book, the tenth book, so that's what I wrote down there, so you can see whereabouts they are. So we've got the Gospels and Acts, which is the history of the church, and we've got all of these letters, sometimes they're written to an individual, sometimes they're written to a church or group of churches, and then we've got this apocalyptic book, Revelation, right at the end. So that just kind of puts it into a picture where Peter comes, one Peter and two Peter. You know I'm a fan of statistics, so let's just briefly look at some statistics. So we're looking at two books over the next few weeks. We're going to look at eight chapters, because there's five in the first book and three in the second, and that's 166 verses altogether. There's one chapter in the Bible that's longer than that, isn't there? And so, in a way, it's going to be really good to read all of it in one go. Or at least we'll know that over the next few weeks, each chapter is going to be one after the other. So maybe on the Friday or the Saturday or the Sunday morning, read one chapter one before next Sunday. And then for the following Sunday, read one Peter two, and so on. And then you'll just get an idea what's going on and uh, how it all fits in together. There's some really old books in the world. But remember, the oldest things that we have weren't written in books. They were written on rolls of vellum or parchment and things, paper. And so books weren't really introduced for a long time after Jesus. But one of the first books we have is this Codex Sinaiticus. And there's several other books like this. Codex just means books. And so these books were around about in the 4th century. And so we can see that 1 Peter and 2 Peter are included in them. And you can see this book in the British Library. So if you ever sort of think to yourself, oh, I'm interested in sort of some 4th century book, you can go and have a look and see what it's like. But books were a new invention. And so having a Bible in a book was a new thing. It took quite a while for the New Testament to become the New Testament. Because there was people saying, oh yeah, the stories of Jesus, we want those in a collection in the canon of scripture. But it took quite a few councils and committees to decide on what was going to be in the Bible. And some people thought, 2 Peter especially, perhaps wasn't a divine book. It was just written by someone else. So in 367 AD, there was a bishop of Athanasius of Alexandria, and he wrote a letter. And that was, I think, the first letter that had all the Gospels, the Acts, the 21 letters, and the Revelation as well. This group of people, we can sort of think of them as the early church fathers. People like Clement, Polycarp, Irenaeus, Tertullian. And it was these people that were sort of helping to decide, amongst many others, whether certain books of the Bible that we think of the Bible now should be put in the Bible. And they thought, yeah, 1 Peter, definitely, that should be put in the Bible. That's, that's definitely what's going on there. It's interesting because at the end of 1 Peter, it mentions a very famous name. And that's 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. I'll just read it to you and then you can tell me who this famous person was, if you want to. 
With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Who's read about Silas recently? And how did you read about it? Where was he from? He was a good friend of Paul's. And there was this occasion, it was a city called Philippi. It's Acts chapter 16. When prison again, it was persecution, Paul and his Silas were put in prison. You've probably heard the story. Can't go into it too much detail now, but again, amazing things happened. There was an earthquake, and they got out of prison. They were singing and praising God at midnight. That was Paul and Silas. And so people think that this Silas, or Silvanus, is the same chap that was in prison with Paul several decades earlier, or a decade earlier. So again, it's just people that you read in the Bible sometimes just turn up unexpectedly somewhere else. So that was Silas there. We don't know where perhaps uh, Peter wrote 1 Peter. It talks about Babylon. And some people think could be Rome, maybe. Some people think it's a place in Egypt, near Cairo. And some people think it was near Me- in Mesopotamia. So that's kind of Turkey, Syria way. So all of that you could look into if you want to. By the way, I don't know if anyone else noticed... But when Barbara set that shop up at the back where Paul and Lynn are now, there was a book about 1 Peter. And I thought, how brilliant, because if someone just sort of wants to look at it and buy it, Barbara's done a brilliant thing, and there it is, just by Paul's elbow. It's just there. And I thought, wow, that was an inspired choice to bring that, because if you want to do some more study on your own at home, There's lots of things on the internet you can look at, and lots of people who will inspire us over the next few weeks. But there's a back, a book at the back that we can read if we want to. Main theme, being Christ-like during times of suffering and hostility. And 1 Peter is just saying that we are pilgrim people, we're strangers and foreigners. And all of these things are on the website already, so you can see how 1 Peter is sort of set out in different sections. To Peter, people suggest that it wasn't Peter who wrote it. Some people think that to Peter is a pseudo-epigraph. And all that means is that some people think that when Peter died, one of his disciples wrote some things down that they thought Peter might have said or did say, and so they're sort of saying, well, this is a disciple of Peter, and so these are the sort of things that he wrote. There's all kinds of hogwash that people talk about the Bible, and some of it could be right, we weren't there. But the amazing thing is, we know that God has inspired Peter, maybe someone else, to say these things that we need to hear. And so, to Peter, looks like this. He has the opening, hiya, you know, a greeting, and then sort of different bits that are going on. And what we want to do now is just for a moment before we sort of uh, finish our portion of the service here, is to think, well, what are we going to do next then? That was a very brief introduction because we could go on for hours about Peter. We could just be talking about Peter for nine weeks easily. But that's just very few brief thoughts about the man and the book. So what should we do next? It would be brilliant to get to know Peter. And the best way to do that is to read all of the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles. It doesn't take long at all. 
You can use the Bible reading plan if you want to. That sort of takes a few more things and just points a finger at Peter. Of course, as we're looking at Peter, if he was still alive, Peter would be saying, don't look at me, look at Jesus. And so as we're looking at all these things over the next few weeks, so we want to say to ourselves, yes, I want to be looking at Peter as an earthly example, but he's showing the way to Jesus with all, his, all Peter's failings and high moments and bad moments. We can still be thinking, yes, Peter is someone I want to get to know. And like we said earlier, it would be really good as each week goes by to read the following chapter for that Sunday morning's talk, just so we can get into it and know what's coming and understand it a little bit better. So, I'm really excited about Peter. Hopefully you can tell. But what we want to do is, over the next few weeks, is maybe get excited as well. It might be you'll be excited openly, or just inside, you might have this calmness and just this, this voice, this God's God saying to you, Listen to what Peter's saying in this moment. Imagine where he was, what he did. What would you do in the same circumstances? What would you do in the same situation? And often we might be like Peter. And so as we sort of think about Peter's voice and his reactions and his actions, so maybe we can put ourselves in his place and say, yes, Lord, I did exactly the same thing. But Lord, help me to carry on through and help me to be your child and be your servant. So we're going to pray, and then over the next few weeks, we'll keep on talking about Peter a little bit more. Lord, we do thank you for Peter then. Thank you, Lord, that he was one of your children. Thank you, Lord, that as you call us out, so we know that you are with us, you're our Father, and we can trust in you. Sometimes, Lord, we might say things that are wrong, or do things that are wrong, or do things simply at the wrong time. Lord, help us to be open, to be honest, and to follow you with all our hearts, just like Peter did. Lord, we ask it in your name. Amen.